Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. It's on! Hi, everyone. From New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network, this is On with Kara Swisher, and I'm Kara Swisher. My guest today is Paul Giamatti, a favorite to win Best Actor for his role in The Holdovers at this year's Oscars. In the movie, which is set at a New England boarding school circa 1970, Paul plays a cranky history teacher who stuck babysitting students left behind at the school over the holidays, developing a surprising bond with one of his charges along the way. Together with the school cook, played by fellow Oscar nominee Davine Joy Randolph, the three form an unlikely trio. I loved it, and I didn't even go to boarding school. I think of Paul Giamatti as a classic journeyman actor who really understands how to embody a character, such as in Sideways, where he also plays a teacher, this time on a trip through California wine country, or the boxing biopic Cinderella Man, where he played Russell Crowe's fast-talking manager and picked up his first Oscar nomination— or in films like American Splendor, 12 Years a Slave, and Saving Private Ryan, just to name a few. He's been in a lot of movies. You may also know him as the hard-ass district attorney Chuck Rhodes on Showtime's Billions, which wrapped last fall after seven seasons. I was a big fan. And speaking of Billions, our question today comes from former New York DA Preet Bharara, who was allegedly the inspiration for Rhodes. I want to talk to Paul about the holdovers, his process from script to set, and how the business of making movies is changing, plus his esoteric podcast where he talks to people like Tom Hanks about things like time travel. We'll hear from Paul on that and more after the break. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power the collaboration for teams to accomplish what could otherwise be impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software for everything from space exploration and green energy to delivering pizzas and podcasts. Whether you're a team of two, 200, or 2 million, or whether your team is around the corner or on another continent altogether, Atlassian Software is built to keep you all on the same page from start to finish. That way, every one of your teams, from engineering and IT to marketing, HR, and legal, can stay connected and moving together as one towards shared company-wide goals. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. 
That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N dot com. Atlassian. Incorporating AI into your business can be a delicate balance between speed and intelligence. That's why you might want to consider the Claude 3 family models from Anthropic for your enterprise AI. Haiku is their light and fast model, Opus is their most powerful model capable of high order thinking, and Sonnet is the best combination of both speed and intelligence. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. Support for this show comes from Virgin Atlantic. Travel can be stressful. I don't think that's a controversial take. Sure, we all love taking a vacation and that moment we finally get a chance to relax, but we're always so focused on the destination that the journey just feels like a means to an end. Well, what if it wasn't? What if the time you spent getting there was just as enjoyable as the vacation itself? That's what Virgin Atlantic believes. That's why they offer loads of special extra touches that make your trip one to remember for all the best reasons. Picture this, you made it to the airport, checked in your bags, and finally have a moment to settle in before takeoff. If you're flying upper class, you could be putting your feet up in a Virgin Atlantic clubhouse at London Heathrow with food made fresh to order and champagne delivered straight to your table with a tap of a QR code. I mean, it's rude not to, right? Once you're in the air, the experience continues with deliciously different dining, seriously comfy seats, and the best crew in the sky by miles. Check out virginatlantic.com for your next trip and see the world differently. Paul, thanks for talking. How are you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you for talking to me. I'm excited to talk to a fellow podcaster, really. I, I heard this Oscars thing, but I could care less. I want to talk about podcasts. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's talk podcasts. We are. We're going to. We're going to. You have a podcast. I'm intrigued and I fascinated do have by one, it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It, well, a lot of celebrities do, but I think this is very different. Anyway, I don't know if you consider yourself a celebrity. I do. But... Mm, yeah, yeah, that's an interesting question in itself. So I do want to start with The Holdovers, which I loved. I really okay. did. It's by Great. writer and director Alexander Payne, who is one of my favorites, every one of his movies. You worked with him on Sideways as well. And he said, he wrote the part of Paul Hunnam for you specifically. Why is it you specifically? The thing I keep thinking, it's funny because I don't think we ever really discussed it, he and I, why. I think part of it was my familiarity with the world and the background of it, sort of the prep school thing and the academic thing and right. that kind of world. I think that maybe is the baseline foundation of why he says he wrote it for me. You had been, you had gone to a prep school, correct? I did. I went to Choate. I didn't board there, so I didn't have that special experience. So I don't know exactly what that would be like, but I went to Choate, yeah. To Choate. That is the prep school, just at boarding school, <laughs> just it, so you know. It's the one? It's one of them. It's right <laughs> up there. If you had said Exeter, I would have said yes. That's okay. more. But d did it feel like you were back in school, even if you were a day boy? Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was all familiar to me, sure. And it was, uh, we were shooting in actual locations, actual schools, and the sort of costuming and the hair and makeup was uncanny. Mm -hmm. So it all felt very uh, present again, yeah. Traumatically so at times. <laughs> yeah, you were in the 80s. This was set in the 70s. Yeah, but it was only about 10 years afterwards. And a lot of those guys, I mean, there were girls there. But other than that, like, a lot of those guys were still there. Those teachers were still there. 
Yeah, I definitely had that feeling, especially mm. I, I want to get into that, what he's done there with the weather and the school itself, because the school itself is a character in a weird mm-hmm. way. Yes, indeed. How how different was it from your perspective from Miles, the wine-obsessed, struggling writer and teacher you played in Sideways? Well, it's a similar guy at a different point in his life, later in his life. I actually like this character a lot more. I think he's got a lot more grit and kind of sand. He's got a lot more backbone. Okay. He's a little bit more, I, I think he's tougher. He's less, he's not self-pitying in the same way that the other guy is. Um, I just think that he, you know, he's at a different point in his life. So he's sort of settled into his resignation in some ways. Miles is sort of- What he is, his fish smell, everything. Well, he's got his fish smell in his, in his eye and things like that. He has all these sorts of- in. Uh, conditions that sort of set him apart and make him even more. He's also, I think he's actually more of a misfit and a bit more of an outsider than the Miles character. Right. He exists on the margins more than the Miles character. He kind of enjoys it. I don't think yes. he feels, Miles feels left out a lot yes, of ways. Yes, exactly. That's a, that's a very good point. Yes, yes. Particularly that scene in, in Sideways where your ex-girlfriend tells you she's pregnant. That mm-hmm. look was... <laughs> yes, he wants a kid. He wants a kid. This guy's kind of decided, well, he's decided in some some ways that he never wanted a kid. He never cared. He didn't care about any of that. Whether he really does or not, I don't know. I mean, it's buried, whatever his feelings he yeah, ever pretty buried. Try not to take this the wrong way, but what uh-huh. is about these depressive, hyper-educated loner guys <laughs> that you're able to translate so well? So well? I really don't know. It seems to be, I seem to be the go-to guy for a lot of these things. I mean, you know, I think it's an interesting question with an actor. How much of it, what is, is it something they bring to it or is it just something that begins to be brought to them because of something they've done before? You know, so it becomes a tricky question. I don't know. I do, you know, I, I play these kind of hyper-articulate people. I, mm-hmm. I do a lot of talking. And so I, I think if early on, people identified me as a guy that was good with the words. The words. So that, that I think, happens a lot. I would love to play a character sometime doesn't talk as much. I would love it. I've only done it a few times, and I really enjoy it, <laughs> especially on film, because it's all, you know. Where it's, did you it, not talk too much? I just saw, you know, oddly enough, <laughs> I saw you in the Ides of March the other day. I was like, what is he doing here? I chatter a lot in that. And no, I did a movie once. I think the one movie where I didn't talk a heck of a lot is a is a very little known movie I did with Paul Rudd called All is Bright, I think, in which he plays the chattery guy and I play mm-hmm. the sort of silent and articulate guy. And I really enjoyed it. You did because <laughs> yes. you don't get paid by the word. So it's fine. Well, it's not just that. It's that film acting is so much of it is the inarticulate stuff. You know what I mean? So much of it is just the face and the body being used to convey emotion without the You have words. perfected the stare, you know, the look. The sad-eyed look, yeah. The glare? Oh, the, the sad-eyed look, yes. The sad-eyed look. Yeah, but it's like, that's it, there's something great about containing all of it and not sort of the energy not going into your words, but into everything else. I want to play a clip from The Holdovers from early on, and Mr. Hunnam is having mm-hmm. dinner with the kids. He's babysitting over the two-week holiday break. They're being served by the school's head cook, Mary Lamb, uh, who's mm-hmm. black and whose son recently died in Vietnam, uh, Davine Joy Randolph, mm. who is also up for an Oscar. Let's fantastic. play a, Fantastic. Let's play a clip. Uh, Mary, maybe you would, uh, maybe you would care to join us? I'm all right. Thank you. I mean, I know she's sad about her son and everything, but still, she's getting paid to do a job. And she should do it well, right? But I guess no matter how bad a cook she is, 
Now they can never fire her. Will you shut up? You have no idea what that woman has been through. You know, Mr. Koontz, for most people, life is like a hen house ladder, shitty and short. You were born lucky. Maybe someday you entitled little degenerates will appreciate that. If you don't, I feel sorry for you. And we will have failed to do our jobs. Now, eat. So I'm going to use that line on the tech people I have to cover. Uh, shitty and uh, short. Shitty and <laughs> short. You born lucky. You Entitled little degenerates was hard to say. Yeah, actually. I like it, though. I like <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, it's great. T- tell me about that scene, how you were thinking about it. Well, it's interesting. I mean, the, the whole relationship between him and, and uh, Mary is an interesting one. It's never really stated particularly, but there's some sort of simpatico between the two of them that blossoms through the movie that, mm-hmm. you know, they don't even necessarily even know it's there. But, you know, I think she sees him and recognizes an outsider and he sees her and recognizes an outsider for different reasons. But, you know, they both feel marginal in the place. And I think he's the only person who probably, we talked about this, Davon and I briefly, he's probably about the only one who even acknowledges her and knows her name. And likewise, she treats him, you know, I mean, she's funny with him and makes fun of him and stuff, but there's a kind of rapport. And I think the guy just has, you know, he's got a sort of, complicated background. He's a scholarship student. He's from presumably a kind of working class background. He's not the same class as these kids either. So it's like, you know, he's got a lot of built up resentment them towards them for that. And I think he feels terrible for the woman about her son. You know, lots of things. I think yeah. he's a good man. He's not a nice man. But he's a good man underneath it, which was the interesting thing to play. Which you saw in those scenes when watching television and things like yes. that, which was interesting, which is always yeah. a bonding experience, even though people don't think of it that way. Like you said, you went to Cho. Was that true to life for you? I, I went to a private school. There were a lot of entitled little degenerates. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I come from a, a background where there's a lot of elite people, but I had not met sort of like really wealthy kids from New York mm-hmm. like that. I'd never really been around kids like that. So I was even sort of taken aback by a lot of it. But the school itself was a character, too, as I said, as was the weather, which I thought that mm-hmm. the seeping coldness was really well done. You nice. know, I could, you yeah. could feel it. Yeah. How much time did you spend there? How did that work out? I was super curious about because you looked cold. It was cold. And we were there for about two months or so, two and a half months shooting, maybe. And we were outside Boston and in Boston. And one of the things Alexander was pretty fixated on and why it was tricky to schedule it was he wanted weather. He wanted snow. And we got really good snow for this. And in this movie, there's no fake snow. It's all really snowing when you see it snowing. And I think it makes a difference. You can feel it. Like you said, the seeping cold, you can feel it. And then we were on actual locations, five different schools to create the one school. And lots of decrepit buildings and stuff we shot and where you would hear the clanking heaters when it turned on. So the atmosphere was great for acting in because it felt it was cold, and mm-hmm. it was sort of old, and it felt uh, it felt like that thing. And it captures the new. He's great at capturing regional feel and atmosphere. Yes, he did it very well. It did in Hawaii. He did always it does. Yeah. yeah, and it's like, and so he got the New England thing brilliantly. I thought. Yeah. Also, the um, charmlessness of the schools, the lack <laughs> of. You know what I mean? His room was the only interesting thing. Yeah. Well, there's a kind of attempt to build this kind of nostalgic sort of reference to these English schools, but it doesn't really go that far. They are kind of, they don't quite accomplish this sort of fanciness that they set out to to be. Right. Now, one of the things you did, you dedicated your Golden Globe that you won. Congratulations to teachers. Can you Uh you talk about that? 
Well, I, I come from a family of teachers. You do. Everybody's teachers. My my parents were teachers. My grandparents were teachers. My brother's a teacher now. It's like everybody's teachers. So teaching is a big thing. And my mm-hmm. dad, teaching and education and all of it was a big, big, big thing in my what family. What happened to you? Why didn't you go to Because <laughs> I wanted to be an actor. I mean, I, I would have, I thought about it sort of glancingly, I thought, well, maybe I'll go into the family business and become a teacher. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I would have a good one. And Why not I, a good one? I don't think I would be good because I don't, I think I would be the opposite of the guy in the movie. I don't think I'd have an ounce of discipline. I think I'd just be one of those guys who's like, it's everybody, everybody gets an A. This is great. Let's all, you know, let's all go take a break today and go take a walk. I think right. I'd be one of those guys. And that's not good either. Probably not. So, no. <laughs> the question of who has access to education and who doesn't is front and center at the film. Yes. Um, I thought it was an important thing. Talk about why that was. It's still a huge issue today. My podcast co-host, a professor at NYU, Scott Galloway, says top schools have become luxury brands now. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it is. And I think that, um, you know, the, the movie, Alexander's movies have a lot to do with class. And They do. It's interesting. And you don't necessarily see it in some of them. I mean, Sideways actually has a lot, even that movie has a lot about class in it, Mm -hmm. built into it. So I think he's very concerned and interested in it as an issue in America, as an American issue. And so it's a good sort of laboratory to study that as education. And it brings out the things about the characters, too. You know, this guy's resentments and bitterness. Status. And, the status and ranking. Yeah, and the kid's sort of dealing with this family that doesn't really give a shit about him. And, and then marries multiple dilemmas of existing in that world. Now, you've had some big hit movies, but you had a couple of co-stars who really are breaking out now. Talk about that, having so much screen time with them and how you think of yourself in that relationship. Uh, well, I mean, they're both, yeah, they're having a wonderful moment, both of them. And and they're at different, <laughs> very different stages. Dave Vine's been doing it she for has. a while, and she's fantastic and has always been good. And I think she's having a wonderful moment where, because she's mostly done comedy for the most part. People are seeing what she's really capable of. And it's just, you know, she's a great actress and she's a great Absolutely. person, and it's a wonderful thing. Dumb. Dominic Sessa. Dominic Sessa, who plays Angus Tully, has never, this is the first thing he's ever done. It's astonishing. And so his moment is insane. I can't even imagine being him right now. He was found at a school, right? He was. He was at Deerfield, which is one of the schools we shot at. He still had a room at Deerfield. He was still living. He was still there and he was living there. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of crazy. But he's he's having an incredible moment in his life. And, you know, what he, I, I'm fascinated to see where he goes from here. But they were great. They're both great in different ways. I mean, they're both, Dom had this kind of natural professionalism about him, gravity and sort of seriousness. And so I never felt like I was working with somebody inexperienced. And Devon and I work similarly and felt very similar and have a mm-hmm. similar approach. So there was, that was just, that was one of those great things where we didn't even need to talk about anything. One of the things that I thought was interesting is you're, it doesn't always happen. You let them shine quite a bit. It was quite an, I was thinking at the end, every single character in this movie got a minute or at least a minute. Absolutely. No, it has to be like that. I'm not, that's, I mean, I I don't ever feel like I play the lead. I play the central character in an ensemble. And this was, this just was this anyway. I mean, it's the three people make a hole in this thing. It has to be that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know if I let them shine, they just do. You know, so it was, and it was just a pleasure to to do that with them. And it was like a play or something a lot of the time, this thing, you know, it was just the three of us or the two of us a lot. So it was great. 
So let's talk a little bit about the craft and and sort of your moment too, because most people think you're going to win the Oscar. I know you're not supposed to say anything, but no. whatever. In any case, <laughs> okay. seems right. like it. Okay. Um, and then you could have some more In and Out Burger, which will be great for you. Oh, I love In and Out Burger. Yeah, you've got to play that trope that they that they like to do after the end of award shows. Anyway, you've been, but you looked great, by the way, in the in thanks. the actual In and Out Burger. Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, I feel comfortable there. You've been working in film and television on the stage for more than thirty years. Um, yes. You just wrapped up seven seasons of Billions. Terrific yeah. character. Uh, D.A. Chuck Rhodes. Um, <laughs> it was inspired in part by U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara. I have a question from the former D.A. himself. We add these in to every interview we do. Hi, I'm Preet Bharara, former U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York. The big question I want to ask is this. You had a star turn in the 2004 movie Sideways as a neurotic wine enthusiast. So why on earth, when we once had dinner to discuss your upcoming role in Billions, did you make me pick the wine? Oh, uh-huh. Preet. First of all, he was forced. I, I didn't. I was sick, and I didn't want to drink. And he kept insisting I have a drink. Okay. Um, right. okay. For that, I, first of all, I believe you, Preet, any <laughs> yes. day of the week and yeah, twice. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Trust yeah. me. Um, I don't know anything about wine. I know nothing about wine. And uh-huh. he's a very, you know, Preet's a very sophisticated, erudite man. Yeah. So I thought he should pick it because I know zero about wine. I know nothing about wine. Uh, he probably drank the one. Yeah. All right. Well, let's ignore the wine. I was just kidding. But, but I do want to talk about how you developed your character of Chuck Rhodes. Obviously, he's a little bit, he doesn't uh, like to, you know, he doesn't like S&M as far as I know. Who, Preet? You mean he yeah. doesn't like yeah. S&M? Yeah. I didn't see, it seemed very loosely based on Preet. I yes, mean, I know. It was, it was extremely he loose. It is. He thinks yes. it is, and oh, we'll no, give it to no, no. him. Listen, I mean, you know, sure, we'll let him live with that illusion. But it was, you know, it was various things. I know, I can tell you that one thing that was interesting, that the look of the character, I remembered thinking, I don't want to just look like everybody always looks when they play these guys. So I went and I scrolled through and I looked at all these different attorney, these district attorney guys all over the country. And I came across this guy, John Durham, Mm -hmm. who is the guy who nailed Whitey Bulger. And he was the Connecticut state. But he was also the guy who just did the, who did the whole investigation of the Russia investigation thing. The bearded guy with the glasses and a vest. And I thought, he's unusual looking. There's a guy who looks like that. So I borrowed his look. I can tell you that much. Wow. And when I read about him, I thought he sounded like this kind of very intense crusader kind of guy. And I thought, oh, he's interesting. So if I based it on anything on anybody, it was more him Mm -hmm. than than Preet. And then, you know, as with anything that's well-written, the holdovers or billions, I take everything out of the language because it's going to be there. And the more I run over the language in my head and digest the words, the more my mm-hmm. imagination gets fired off. How do you build that kind of character? If that's not, I don't, I, I just, it's nothing like you, of course. Of course, you're an actor. That's called yes, acting. Indeed. I get it. Yes, it's indeed. Acting. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. I mean, a character, I'd never done a TV show. So, so that's part of what's happening is that they're building the character as you're doing it. Well, so you that's, are. that's happening. Well, you are and they are. It's a sort of interesting dance you're doing as it goes along and they're sort of seeing what you're doing with it and building off of that and they're you're seeing what they're doing and so it's a curious process building a character over a tv show the length of a tv show and they wanted they took a lot of twists and turns and curveballs and changed the characters and you know Mm -hmm. did these kind of hairpin turns a lot which was kind of part of the nature of the show yeah yeah it was part of the idea of the show that there were these sudden turnarounds but that was interesting to play it was yeah it it was a fun character to build but uh, they did a lot of the driving you know you just went where they wanted you to go right and right now we have a real life axe and bill ackman Uh, by the way every hedge fund person i know thinks the character is based on him i've gotten that from all of them they aren't none of them (laughs) brian cobble was like no Um, but besides the obvious drama of it 
I think the show is about having power for power's sake, no matter yes. the betrayers involved. Talk a little bit about wh- what you think the show did, because it really did burst on the scene, and it was way before its time, because now it feels like much more pertinent. In a no, way. it does, doesn't it? I don't, that's a really good question. It was an interesting thing because I I didn't inhabit the money part of the world of that show. So I didn't experience a lot of what I think the guys who played the money guys did. I mean, I think it was always, it was always a question for me, like, are we glamorizing this stuff too much or are we like critiquing it? Mm -hmm. And I think we were doing both actually in an interesting way. So rich people porn. A little, yes, it was. But I think also they did a pretty good job of, still getting in there and and sort of critiquing these guys and not lionizing them all the time. I don't know, I guess you're right that in a way it almost feels more relevant now than it did than it did then. You're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know what do you think it did for the cultural moment. I thought there was a lot of rich people porn, but I don't mind mm-hmm. it, right? I get that. Yeah. And uh, having yeah. spent a lot of time like covering tech, I'm used to it. I'm used to their cars and their ridiculous behaviors and right. um and their childishness. <laughs> yeah. Which they captured, I thought, very well yes, in the show. Yes, they did. With these they guys. did. I think they had a lot of stuff that was real to life in a yes. lot of ways, um, yes. which I thought was that's how they behave. In my experience with hedge fund people who suddenly got involved in tech at the end, um, I was more interested in the Chuck Rhodes character, actually, because I know those guys. You found him interesting. I did. Yeah, and I think there is that sort of sense of power for power's sake and a guy who sort of is abusing his power and stuff. And I always thought of the character as very sort of like the Javert character in the Les Miserables, this kind of— Oh, that's interesting. Well, because it's this kind of—he's so driven, he's lost sight of any sort of—he's lost perspective, you know, and it's this kind of moral scourge that he's sort of set himself up as is kind of an interesting character. Yeah, I didn't know why he was doing anything. That's you know what I mean, like. Well, in a good way or in a yeah. In a good way, in a yeah, good way. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, like, he was. Mo- yeah, that's good. I think he was motivated by a lot of kind of personal animus and things mm-hmm. like that, you know, and then sort of damage and trauma from the father and things like that. So I think it was a whole mess of things. It was a very messy character. He is in a lot yeah. of ways a very messy character, very isolated, lonely character too. Absolutely, I would say. it was a, it Absolutely. was an odd character to play because he was very closed off from everybody. I mean, nobody liked him. He didn't like himself. And so it was a very, it was a really interesting character to play. Did that have any impact on you yourself playing this sort of, he was hateful really in a lot of ways. (laughs) I mean, it's all, I mean, it's a tricky thing. I played a lot of sort of bad guys and, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's like, but um, you learn to just not, it's not you, you let it go. And it's like, you know, you don't Some people don't, it's interesting. But a multi-year TV show is different from a film. Building a character on a TV show like Billions differs from what you did in The Holdovers. It does. And you begin to feel very comfortable, sometimes almost alarmingly so in a TV show. You're like, am I getting too comfortable? Am I sort of losing the sort of, the, the sharpness of the character because I'm getting kind of a little too relaxed. So that's an that's an interesting thing. But these guys kept it pretty varied and and lively. And the language was always a challenge. Fantastic. So was, yeah. yeah. And that was I mean, and not having really done any other TV shows, most people would say to me, My God, the gift you have of uh, that language. Yeah, and really apparently great. you're good with words, I understand. Uh-huh. Anyway, uh-huh. See, that's how I circle <laughs> so back. Little back. podcast trick nice. there. So, nice. Oh, is thank this you. how you do a podcast? Is this, how, is this the proper way of doing a podcast? Very good, very good. I'll take notes. We'll be back in a minute. Support for this show comes from Ramp. 
Are you overwhelmed with managing your business expenses, vendor payments, and accounting? Is your finance software just not cutting it? Or maybe you're just looking to cut all that wasteful spending. Ramp could be a total game changer for you and your business. Ramp is the corporate card and spend management software designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. Ramp gives finance teams unprecedented control and insight into company spending. With Ramp, you're able to issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions and automate expense reporting so you can stop wasting time at the end of every month. Plus, Ramp is easy to use. You can get started, issue virtual and physical cards, and start making payments in less than 15 minutes, whether you have five employees or 5,000. Not only that, but Ramp can save you money. They estimated that businesses that use Ramp save an average of 5% the first year. And now you can get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash Kara, ramp.com slash Kara, R-A-M-P dot com slash Kara. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank, members FDIC. Terms and conditions apply. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected, and 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You, you recently said that you stopped saying yes to everything after you did Billions. Yeah. Why is that? I said yes too much. I just worked too much. And I, and I did a lot of stuff where I just was like, well, I mean, I enjoyed everything I did. I just, I worked too much. And mm-hmm. I liked to work. And I'm a bit of a workaholic. And I just thought I can take it easy now, too. You know, I did this show. And I, I, have, a, I have some money I can rest on now. And I can take it easy a little bit. So I just thought I would. Do you regret saying yes to anything? No, I don't regret saying yes to anything. I just I just did a lot, you know, and it just was I, I sometimes wish that I had just taken more of a break and you know. And sometimes I don't think my work was great because I was going oh, I, I know was, about that. I have a friend who well, you know, and it's like I have a friend who an actor who said he and I we chain smoked jobs, really. You oh, know what wow. I mean? And it was like it's a good way of putting it. Because it's like you you get a little bit. So I don't, you know, I thought the work suffered a little bit. Well, actors always feel that they aren't going to get another job, right? Isn't yeah. that the, all so my that friends was also were part actors of it. Related. Yeah. I had the same feeling. So pe- for people who don't know, you won an Emmy as John Adams. You've been Teddy Roosevelt, Santa Claus, 
French novelist Balzac, former Fed chairman. Icons, former Fed chairman Ben Bernanke. Icon. Yeah, icon. And even yourself in Cold Souls. Is there anyone you'd really like to play? Any person I'd really like to play? Any It'd be any interesting character. to play Teddy Roosevelt on camera. I did Teddy Roosevelt as a voiceover thing. Right. Yeah. I'd love to play Teddy Roosevelt on camera. That could be pretty interesting. Um, I don't know that there's any particular living or historical person or figure like that anymore. I've done a lot of those kinds of things. There's kinds of movies I'd like to be in. I wouldn't mind being in in a Western sometime. I wouldn't mind being in a more spy movie type of thing and more Mm -hmm. sort of horror stuff, genre stuff I really like. I wouldn't mind doing some more of that. A Western would be great. I don't know what I'd play in a Western. Why a Western? I like Westerns. You like and, Westerns. Yes, a I villain do. or like, hero? Would, would you well, pick? I don't know. I mean, I imagine I'd play the horrible railroad baron. That's probably what I would. <laughs> That's where they'd go first. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That or maybe, they, maybe, yeah, with the stash and the pocket watch Fussy. and the sort of. Yeah. Fussy. Yeah. Just kind of, well, just, just doesn't care. He's gonna, that railroad's going to go, go through your farm whether you like it or not kind of guy. Or like maybe the doctor. Maybe, maybe I play the sympathetic drunk doctor or something oh, yeah. like that. That ends you know, up killing but, someone, sure. Yeah, or so or yeah, exactly. Redeems himself by healing somebody. Or or the goofy prospector. I'm not sure which one, but one of those, you know. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> okay, all right, a Western it is. But when you're deciding on a production, what do you decide on? You obviously get your pick of them compared. You're a very you're a real working actor. You really more are. More so I've gotten yeah, more so. I, honestly, I the first first and foremost, beyond the character or anything else, the story has to interest me. That mm-hmm. sounds like a real platitude that you hear from actors, but I honestly have to be interested in the story. And that literally means I have to keep turning the pages of the script I get. And if I and bored. If I get bored, I don't want to do it because I just want to do a story that's going to rip me. Have you written a script? I don't actually know this. No. I couldn't. No. no. Directed? No. 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 Why not? Too much work. I'm <laughs> way too lazy. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Acceptable. Acceptable answer. Yes. Um, so, But then sticking to actors, living or dead, do you, who do you particularly admire or who you learn from? You remind me like Gene Hackman, I would pick for you. Oh, or, wow, or, that's or nice. Sydney that's a very Greenstreet. Nice thing to say. Um, oh, I love Sydney Greenstreet. Wow, that's the best compliment you could have possibly you're given welcome. me. You're welcome. You have made my year saying Sydney. I love Sydney Greenstreet. Guys like that, I loved. I loved Peter Lorre. I loved uh-huh. Boris Karloff. I love uh, Alec Guinness. I really liked a lot. Um, I liked guys like that. Now I Why? admire. Why do you like them? Tell me what the what's they're the unusual. I find them very odd. They're unusual. They're fun. They do this kind of fun, colorful stuff. When I was a kid, I was always interested in those guys. As they cross the screen and leave, I'd go, but I want to watch that guy because he's sort of fascinating and strange. Yeah, forget this Clark Gable character. Forget Clark Gable. Forget this Humphrey Bogart guy. I want to watch Peter Lorre and those kinds of guys. And they were creative and fun and they were sort of and Alec Guinness, wonderful, you know. Guys now, I mean, people that I really love, I, I'm a great, great admirer of Robert Duvall. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think of those guys, he's my favorite of those guys. Gene Ackman's amazing, too. I really admire Denzel Washington quite a bit. Why is that? Uh, well, I think he's kind of remarkable. I think he's transformative. He does all kinds of things. He's remarkably powerful. He can be funny. He's fascinating to just sit and watch, drink a cup of coffee. You know, he's unbelievably compelling. I just think he's great. I think he's one of the great living film actors. Any young young person you are watching? I'm terribly ignorant about young people. All right, that's okay. Yes. You can ignore them completely. It's fine by me. <laughs> 
I'm old. They're, I'm old, so I don't look at young people at all. So I want to switch gears. You have a podcast, Chinwag. First I do. All, why did you call it Chinwag? Uh, but it's just what my friend, I do it with a guy named Stephen Asma, who's a philosophy professor out in Chicago at Columbia College in Chicago, an arts college. And um, we would actually just, he and I used to just have Zooms together like this and talk about weird topics. And he would just say to me. Where did you meet him? Uh, I saw him give a talk online several years ago oh, about right. consciousness and the imagination and stuff. And I thought, that guy's really interesting. I'm going to get in touch with that fellow. And so I did, and we just started chatting online, uh, you know, Zooming together. This was 2020. Mm-hmm. And so we were doing that. And um, at a certain point, he said, this is really funny. We should do something with this because we were talking for hours. And so he gave a chunk of uh, – of stuff of us talking to a student of his who was an animator, former student named Alex Sokol, and he animated it. And the idea originally was to do an animated show of us oh. talking animated. But that didn't happen. And so eventually we just made a – and he would call them chinwags. Let's have a chinwag, he'd say. What does it even mean? It's like an old school British term that means like a chat. Sit a around chat. and have a chat. A chinwag. All right. Chin okay. Uh, yeah. It's like flapping your meat flaps, right? It's okay. Meat flaps is another. You can take it. It's all yours. Yeah, you and Stephen, um, let me just say, this is not your typical celebrity podcast, I would okay. say. Um, you and Stephen discuss metaphysics, Nostradamus, yes. UFOs. You have had celebrity guests, Tom Hanks, Natasha Leon, Neil Gaiman. But well, we have like Mary Beard, too, Roman historian and stuff like that. Yeah, wonderfully historian. What are you going for? How do you look at this medium? <laughs> And pick topics. I have no idea. I'm so ignorant about it that I just kind of blundered into it. I mean, it's generally what Steve and I find interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, he's a philosopher, and so we do end up talking a lot. Of, and he's, he has a focus on sort of consciousness and the imagination and mm-hmm. the function of imagination and things like that. Um, he has a weird interest in cryptozoology, which means Bigfoot. I've had a lifelong interest in strange things like this. Hmm. What we end up talking about a lot and what the baseline idea often is, is why do people believe the things they believe is actually a lot of the time. How does the imagination function in people's lives and in consciousness? It often ends up being what we talk about. But it's also just fun. And we have a good time. And we bring people on. I thought it'd be interesting to have people come on who don't know. And they're not going to talk about the movie they're on or the TV show or the book they wrote. We're going to ask them about ghosts. Do they believe Mm -hmm. in ghosts? Do they believe in UFOs? Are they interested? You know, what do they think about cults? We talked to Catherine Hahn about cults because I knew she'd be interested in that. Right. And things like that. And I think Tom Hanks was time travel, right? Correct. Yeah, it was time travel. We ended up talking about a lot of things with him. I'm obsessed with time travel. Yeah. And and he, because I thought he's a fellow who's fascinated with the past. So, and. And uh, he was great, and he was game for it, too. Right, because it's probably different. It turns out that a lot of people have a good time because they're not talking about the thing they usually have to talk about. Right. And so that's when—but then we'll get somebody on. we got a woman on named Deirdre Barrett who's a sleep and dream expert from Harvard Mm -hmm. to talk about dreaming and dream science and stuff. And we talked to a guy named Matthew Johnson about psychedelics and stuff like that. So it's kind of— but yeah, so it's kind of whatever interests us. Is there one area you like, or is it UFOs? Because uh, right now UFOs are having a moment, right? UFOs because are having apparently a big they're moment. correct. Apparently, apparently they're there, according to the our government. We talked to one woman who works for MUFON, which is this sort of UFO network that collects stories, and she's more of a strict believer. We're going to be 
talking to a woman named Leslie Kane, who is who is a really great. She's a journalist and a writer who's written a lot of stuff about all kinds of interesting topics. But we're going to talk to her about what's going on now right. with all the all the strangeness of it now because it's very weird. I don't understand what's going on. It's strange. And well, and they might compelling. have been keeping it from us. It may that maybe a lot of these shows might be true. A person you should talk to is John Podesta, the big uh-huh. political guy. He's sure. So I interviewed him only about UFOs once. Yeah, he that's was, a good idea too. Very good. Thank you. And the other thing that I suspect you're leaving out is that we're in a simulation. We've talked. We've done a little bit of talking around that. We've talked. Mm-hmm. We talked to Pat Oswalt too about the Mandela effect, which is this sort of mass delusion that people will have. It's based in the notion that when. Man, Nelson Mandela died, many people thought he'd already died. And there was a whole kind of internet phenomenon about that. But that all leads into the living in a simulation thing. That there's a glitch in the simulation and you forget something and everybody has yes. a mass mis- yes. misremembering of something. And this is so interesting to me. Are, are you looking for a $100 million deal like Smartless? Whatever. I mean, not really. I mean, if that happens, that would be great. I mean, really, honestly, my friend and I, Steve and I, just we have a good time doing it. Right. And you know, there's a there's a it's gathering an audience. Whatever. Sure. If that were to happen, that would be that would be splendid. But if it doesn't, that's also fine. I'm just enjoying myself. All right. I have just two more areas. One, since <laughs> Chinwag covers the esoteric and the metaphysical, I'd yeah. like to do a quick lightning round. A handful okay. of life's great mysteries, UFOs. Are you a believer or not? Uh, I'm a believer, qualified believer, that there's something there, but I'm not sure what it is. Bigfoot? Uh, no, not so much. Not so much in Bigfoot. God, or is just as real as Bigfoot? Uh, technically, no. I'm not. I'm not an atheist, but I don't know that I believe in a single creator God. Mm-hmm. This is not so lightning, is it? I'm not saying yes or no to anything. No, some people say an agnostic. It's an agnostic. Is, I'm not is an, an atheistic because I do believe I'm not a materialist. Drinking. I'm not a strict materialist, so I can't say I'm an atheist. Because I believe in ghosts, so I can't. I oh, can't all claim. right, ghosts. Yeah. All right, then time travel. Uh, yes, I, I actually think it maybe is happening. Any place you'd like to go, anytime. I think I'd go into the future because I'd be too oh. interested to know what the hell's going to happen. No. And maybe maybe even the near future would be really interesting. Oh, right. So. November 7th, right? Yeah. <laughs> well. <laughs> so if you could clear up one, you'll get there soon enough. Uh, if you would clear up <laughs> one enduring conspiracy, JFK, Area 51, the moon landing, what would moon it be? Moon landing. I think I'd like to just put that to rest. Put I that to rest. silly, that one. Yes. I like it. It's fun. It's entertaining, but it's not true. It's not true. No, 100%. Well, welcome to the internet. Anyway, uh, last question. I want to talk about Hollywood, and we'll finish up on that. Um, uh, I believe in Hollywood. Do you good, because it's <laughs> done you well. Um, Miramax bought worldwide rights to the holdovers in 2021. You already attached to the film at the time. Bill Block, the guy who bought the movie, was ousted last fall, reporting because Miramax felt the studio would be mining existing IP instead of acquiring films and distribution rights. How do you think about the mentality will impact films in the future, and how much room is there for movies that land in between budget and blockbuster? And so you're saying sort of, is there room for original content That's and right. stuff like that? And will there be original content Which like the Which you star in a lot of, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think it will. I mean, people worry about it, and there's all, often been for years, I, but I've been hearing this now for 30 years. Mm-hmm. It's over, and it, then nobody's going to make movies like this, and yet they do keep making them. And actually, there's a nice slate of them right now. Yeah, sure and, is. American and fiction. Up for, up for awards, you know? And it's like, so I don't think that the, I don't feel as worried and doom and gloomy about it. I do think maybe not a lot of them will get made, but I don't think they're ever going to go away or anything like that. I don't think we're all going to get buried under you know superhero stuff, which also it seems to be waning a bit. Waning itself, itself. right? That's so it's true. Like, so who knows what's going to happen? But I do think these things always will. They do always seem to get made. So you know, 
Yeah. Ted Sarandos, when I interviewed a few years ago, said he didn't think they had had a life. They would all be in streaming. Um, Mm. There were major strikes in Hollywood in 2023. The streaming services are really in the crosshairs, as was the use of AI. Talk about the strikes. Has it shifted it for you? You were obviously not working. I was not working. I had just finished. I mean, but I watched a lot of my friends suffer quite a bit. I mean, I think that, you know, they they secured their the rightful payment is going to happen now for people. The AI thing is actually a thing that freaks me out. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's going to happen with that. Would you license your likeness? <laughs> Would anybody want to license my likeness? What are they going to use me for? I mean, but maybe. Um, no, I don't think I would. No. Maybe no. maybe if I'm very old and they want my likeness from the past or something, maybe, to retire on. There's plenty of material. Yeah, plenty of material. You're data rich, as they say in tech. <laughs> I am, There's I am a data, data landscape for you. Yeah. That freaks me out. I, yeah, I'll tell you one thing that has shifted, and this may be getting too granular and too into the weeds, but the whole way that actors audition now has changed radically, and I don't think it's going to change back. And none of that was solved by the mm-hmm. strike, which is that they all have to film themselves now and send their auditions in. And this idea of going in and face-to-face auditioning for things is kind of gone, and I think it's actually a bad thing. I'm going to say it right here and now. And for actors who know what I'm talking about, it's like, it's not a good thing, and that concerns me. It's obviously a time of great change. What are you seeing now that you like? What kind of movies get you in the theater? Because that's the other trend, is people watching streaming. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big, like I just said, I'm a big genre fan. And there's a nice sort of, you know, moment going on for horror movies and things mm-hmm. like that. Gets me in the theater. I like to go see a, a really good... Uh, Although I saw this on streaming. I'm saying that now when I saw this movie, Barbarian, which was really good. But I'll go and see a horror movie. I enjoyed, I'm a big genre guy. I enjoyed Godzilla Minus One, the Japanese Godzilla movie that just mm-hmm. came out. I think there's a lot of really good genre stuff getting made, and that always gets me into it. Do you like that? Have you heard about Abigail? What is that? I have. And what it's is that? It's a vampire ballerina. I oh, feel yeah, like that sounds right great. Up your alley. Yes, that sounds fantastic. And that kind of thing? Yeah. Boom, I'm there. I'm there. Uh huh. So when you're looking at the rest of going to the Oscars, this is my very last question. Most people think you are going to win. You don't have to say that. But mm-hmm. how do you prepare? Do you like awards or do you think like, you like, have to say you love them I right f- now? Yeah, I mean, yes. I don't really know how I feel about it. It's all just a, I mean, a shitstorm of emotion mm-hmm. going through this stuff. I don't know. In one second, it's the greatest thing ever. In the second, next second, you're just, you're, you don't even want to think about it. So, I mean, I don't know. I, it's fun. You know, I'm finding the fun in it. You know, I'm old enough now that this is fun. And so and the parties. Like, yeah. And it's like, you know, and I get to just, it's not like it's work. I get to talk to you. I get to talk to people like this. It's it's nice. So it's like, it's it's a good time. The award itself, who knows? I have no control over it, and we'll see what happens. And, and your I'm next role? Have a good time. Your next role? I don't know what I'm doing. I haven't taken anything. Like I said, I'm actually taking it easy. Not chain smoking? Not chain smoking anymore. I did a Spanish language horror show for HBO called Thirty Coins that was really great. And I might I'm probably gonna do another season of that at some point, but that's it. That's it. That's yep. it. Yeah, yep. podcasting is a great business. Podcasting. It's the right? It's a <laughs> yes. gold mine and it's just, uh, you know. Don't believe that you can't make money at it. Uh, <laughs> you know, you can do pretty well. I've been and, enjoying the hell out of it. So good. yeah, I'm doing that. Yeah. Well, keep doing it. Paul, thank you so much. I do hope you win. You really deserve it. I love that movie. I appreciate it very much. On with Kara Swisher is produced by Naima Raza, Christian Castro-Rossell, Kateri Yoakum, Megan Cunane, Megan Burney, and Michael McDowell. 
Special thanks to Mary Mathis, Kate Gallagher, and Andrea Lopez-Cruzado. Our engineers are Fernando Aruda and Rick Kwan. Our theme music is by Trackademics. If you're already following the show, you're a railroad baron in Paul Giamatti's New Western. If not, you have to film yourself auditioning. Go wherever you listen to podcasts, search for On with Kara Swisher, and hit follow. Thanks for listening to On with Kara Swisher from New York Magazine, the Vox Media Podcast Network, and us. You can subscribe to the magazine at nymag.com slash pod. We'll be back on Monday with more. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.